Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, we got your mailback questions answered 100% correctly, your money back. But first, we're going to talk a little Buccaneer quarterbacks, something that is near and dear to everybody's hearts. We're going to be doing this from time to time in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com, kind of a deeper dive, if you will, on some guys who may be available, may not be available, are talked about, obviously, and we know who they all are, right? Um, But I'm going to start, and you can check this out on TampaBay.com, I'm going to start with Deshaun Watson. And the one thing, there's a couple things that are very intriguing and then also very complicated. Uh, and, and some of it, you know, as the headline said, you, you know, he may be the perfect quarterback for the Bucks right now if they can stomach it. And the one thing we know about Deshaun Watson is that he has played his last down for the Houston Texans. That, I think, even the Texans will agree upon. Even Lovey, who I can imagine is saying – discouraged, I go back to disappointed, we can't have Deshaun Watson because I know he would love to have him as his quarterback. But Watson and, by mutual agreement, the Texans last year, I mean, this is how much they don't want him to play. They paid him $10.54 million in base salary um, so that he wasn't in uniform in games and didn't even practice with the team. And he has control over where he plays because he has a no-trade clause. There's only, like, 11 um, players in the NFL that have that kind of clout. But going back to the Bucks need a quarterback, you have to start with availability, right? Who do we know can be extracted from their current situation? Deshaun Watson is definitely one of those players. And Jimmy Garoppolo is too. Um, but if you look at all of, all of the pool of players, I know that the Bucks are doing their homework on Watson, and there was a report you know, over the weekend that also looking at Russell Wilson. Hell, they're looking at everybody. But if Clyde Christensen looks at it, he's going to see a couple things. But first and foremost, the problem with Watson, and there are many, is that he faces 22 lawsuits tied to the allegations of sexual assault and misconduct. Ten women have also filed criminal complaints with Houston police. That's a huge, not an incident, but a huge problem for teams attempting to put together deals with draft picks and compensation, not knowing if and or when Watson may be suspended if, if some of these cases um, come to light and the league looks at that and says it's a violation of personal conduct policy. That did not happen last year. The Houston Texans could have played him had they decided to do so. Um, and all I'll say about the guy is that he was so good in his first four seasons that he earned this four-year, $156 million contract. That included a $27 million signing bonus. And you remember him college, Steve. I mean, was there a better college quarterback at the time that he played for Clemson? He took him to two national championship games. They lost the first time when he was a sophomore in 2015 um, to Alabama. And then his, his final year, his junior year, of course, they beat Alabama right here at Raymond James Stadium. Yeah, his college career was phenomenal. And his NFL career got off to a great start. Terrific. 
I mean, you know, yeah. he was always considered one of the next group of the, of quarterbacks coming up. Didn't have mm-hmm. the best team around him at all times, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, his skill set, his development, the way he was improving. Uh, you know, he, I mean, he was considered like part of the next group of you know who's the next Brady, Rogers, Roethlisberger, Wilson, Manning conversation. I mean, you know, he was part of that group. You know, we talk about all these young quarterbacks. His name should still be in there, talent wise. Now, no doubt. Because of everything off the field, no one really knows what his future is. So he's not really talked about now when you talk about Mahomes and Kyler Murray and, and you know, Josh Allen and, and Joe Burrow and those quarterbacks. So, you know, it, it's the talent is phenomenal. And, and you know, it, it was, you know, all his allegations were kind of shocking when they came out, too, because of all the things you kind of heard about him as a person, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you remember as a kid, he received one of the house's work done. Uh, donates to families in need, um, mm-hmm. you know, and he was always one that you heard stories of giving back to the the folks at the Texans and, you know, like to the cafeteria workers and, and, you know, it was just, you know, those allegations were just kind of hard to believe at first, just based on the type of individual that he was reported to be like, and, and, you know, by all indications is or was, you, you know, um, as far as that goes. So it, it's, you know, there's no question he's he's a hell of a quarterback. Mm-hmm. But what does all the off the field stuff mean and do to his career is still TBD. It's to be determined, and um, we'll we'll get to that more in depth here in just a minute. But let's just talk about that talent that you mentioned because you're exactly 100 percent correct. It has only been a year he had not played football. Um, just this past 2021 season. But you go back any time before that, when Clyde Christensen puts on this video, what he's going to see is a quarterback that's going to jump out at you uh, with his accuracy, with his arm strength, and mobility. So he has all three working for him. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago. Of course, the season removed. He didn't play at all last year. Um, but, you know, they he led them to division titles. The Texans won back-to-back division titles in 2018 mm-hmm. and 19. And then in 2020, the last time he played – he led the league in passing. He had 4,823 yards. How about these numbers? 33 touchdowns, only seven interceptions, while being named to his third straight Pro Bowl. Okay? His third straight Pro Bowl. His career completion percentage, and this is somewhat shocking, it's 67.8. That's the highest all time for any quarterbacks with a minimum of 1,500 attempts. And, oh, yeah, he can run a little bit too. He rushed for 1,408 yards during his three seasons as a starter. Those are unbelievable numbers that he was putting up. Um, And, you know, all the Texans will say is that they know um, that's got to get resolved as soon as they possibly can. Now, the Texan general manager, Nick Casario, um, says that, you know, nothing really has changed. And that includes presumably – sort of the draft compensation they're asking for. And here's where it gets tricky. So you have the off-field situation. Um, but they have not lowered the price tag. And they have asked in the past for three first-round picks and two second-round picks for Watson. And that's when, you know, before um, last year's draft, there were eight teams that originally were in the sweepstakes before the accusations with the Dolphins, the Broncos, the Eagles, and the Panthers probably had the most interest. Now, Watson used his no-trade clause to eliminate Philadelphia. And now, of course, the Eagles seem pleased enough with Jalen Hurts to go forth him, you would think, although the Eagles have the best position to get any quarterback they want 
in free agency or a trade simply because they have three first-round picks this year in 2022. Um, the Dolphins had a deal, and it was reported by my friend John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. Before the deadline, trade deadline last October, they had a deal uh, for Watson, and it was for three first-round picks along with a third and a fifth-round selections. But Stephen Ross, the Dolphins' owner, who's in his own uh, boiling pot of hot water right now, um, before they could uh, pull the trigger on that deal, they wanted Watson to reach settlements with all of his accusers before the deadline. And and that obviously was unable to happen. Um, so he has these cases, and the first deposition in the civil cases is supposed to be taken later this month. Um, they're, dis- they're disturbing, to say the least. I mean, it was a series of of uh, people who uh, performed massages on him, said he exposed himself, this sort of stuff. Uh, and there was a pattern, clearly. So you don't know where this is all headed. Um, so you have the legal entanglements and the draft compensation. Those are two big things to overcome, right? Particularly since the Bucks, uh only have one draft pick in the first round this year, and it's 27th. You know, there's a big difference between where the Eagles' picks are, the three first-round picks in 2022, and, and then the Bucks picking 27th. The Giants also have two first-round picks, um, but they don't seem like they're in the market for a quarterback just yet. So here's the thing. You know, we know the Bucks are built to win right now. Now they've got free agency. They really have to resign no matter who, which quarterback comes back, whether, whether even Tom Brady were to retire, they still need to do that. I don't think the Glazers, at the end of the day, you know, everybody's like, well, what would they do? Well, let, let's, let's remember that they didn't balk at drafting Winston, Jameis Winston, and he had um, you know, plenty of issues, including a similar allegation, only that it was sexual assault coming out of Florida State, which he settled in civil court. Then he was suspended three games for conduct, um, the conduct policy um, for an alleged attack on an Uber driver. Uh, and so even through all of that, the Glazer family stood right behind Jameis Winston for five years and liked him as a person, um, you know, didn't blink when uh, some trouble arose once he got here. They also didn't prevent the signing of Antonio Brown twice, okay? Brown was suspended eight games, you know, when he uh, was charged with uh, assaulting a moving truck driver, and that was after his eight-game suspension. That's when the Bucks signed him in the Super Bowl year, and they went on and won a Super Bowl. And then in between the Super Bowl and the next time they signed him, his personal trainer, trainer had alleged that he assaulted her um, on at least three occasions. He settled that one out of court, and then they re-signed him again. And we know how Antonio Brown's situation ended up with the fake fax cards, the suspension for three games, coming back, playing a great game against Carolina, then melting down at halftime, demanding the ball, then refusing to go back into the game, according to Bruce Arians, and then you know the, the strip to the waist uh, act on the way off the field against the Jets. Um, but in, at no time did the Glazer family – that I know of put their hand on the scale on the football side and said, you have to get rid of this guy or we won't allow you to sign this guy. They leave that up to Jason Light. They leave that up to Bruce Arians, and they will again, uh, I believe, because that's just the evidence we have. You know, what is past is usually prologue. So, um, but look, here's the, the bottom line. If you're looking for a talent at quarterback, if you believe you can win a Super Bowl this year, or contend, and you want to keep the good times rolling, clearly you'll have to do some things in free agency to get some of your players back. But you can't get past this. He's only 26 years old. 
He's 26 years old, and he already has three Pro Bowls, two division titles, a national championship to his resume. Um, you know, I mean, the guy is talented, and that that's indisputable. And he's available to some degree. Again, got to figure it out how you're going to do this. But, you know, unlike Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers, where you're just kind of hoping that maybe those teams trade the player and that they would have to then agree to trade him to an NFC team and they'd have to agree that that NFC team was the Tampa Bay Bucks. You, you can't do anything with that right now. With this guy, um, you can pursue it. And I don't know how far you get because I think you're going to keep coming, bouncing your head into the same problem, which is, okay, but will he be available when we get him here? And the answer is nobody knows. Um, now, can you work out something where there's, you know, sort of, uh, I guess you would say, draft picks that slide based on, you know, how many games he plays? Well, you could do that, but that would be draft picks in 2023, not in 2022. And if the Texans want them right now all at once, you just don't have, you don't have the juice, you know, to give them that many draft picks. If it's a combination of picks and players, I suppose you could look at your roster and see who you're willing to part with if, the, if it would be, um, you know, adequate compensation for the Texans uh, instead of using all number one picks. Would they take now, number one this year, which is 27th, the number one in 2023, and number one in 2024? Your expectation would be that those first-round picks are not high because you're going to win with Deshaun Watson. Um, you're going to be, you know, picking in the bottom of, of every draft. That's what your goal is. That's what your expectation would be. So, really, if you're going to chase the quarterback position, if you're not going to be able to sign a free agent, that means you got to chase it through the draft or invest more time in Kyle Trask and just hope for the best. But you know that a Deshaun Watson is is, you know, way more talented right now on the surface it seems than than a Kyle Trask or Blaine Gabbert, and and so. You know, for that kind of a talent, you're going to have to get creative because you only have one first-round pick this year, and and that's a problem. You know, again, the the problem the Texans have is that his legal problems are going to keep teams probably from pulling the trigger. And then also, Watson can say no, as he did to Philadelphia. He could say no to Tampa too if he wanted to. I don't think he would because he was. I guess he was uh, agreeable to going to Miami which isn't that far down the road, and I think the Bucks have a better nucleus of players than the Dolphins do. But it's a really interesting situation because they can do all the homework they want on Aaron Rodgers. They can do all the homework they want on Russell Wilson, who I believe, if you told me you could have any quarterback not named Aaron Rodgers that, that's out there that people are talking about, I would say – you know, Russell Wilson, because of what he represents on and off the field, his ability to throw the ball down the field, his deep throw accuracy, um, his pedigree as a Super Bowl champ, been to two of them, you know, just all of it. You know, a star in his own right. That would be the guy if you had a wish list that you would probably put on top. Um, again, he's older, you know, he's 33 years old, but um, but he's still somebody that can absolutely play. So in my mind, just personally speaking, I think Wilson is, is you know, would be the perfect thing. But, but, but he's not available. I mean, he even said not long ago uh, at the Super Bowl when he was interviewed, well, I have, no, I have no desire to leave Seattle. Now, a year ago, that was a different tune. He sang a different tune. Now he's saying, I want to stay here. I want to win three, three more Super Bowls here. And we don't see Pete Carroll looking to start over with a new quarterback. So from that standpoint, 
I think Russell Wilson is kind of where he's at. You know, we'll talk about all these guys as we go through the process and, and more about Rodgers and um, you know Jimmy Garoppolo, who is available. The 49ers have agreed to accommodate him and trading him to a team they, that he wants to go to. Uh, again, whether that has to be in the AFC or not, we don't know. But, yeah, I mean, as a talent, as a leader, um, until it got creepy off the field, Deshaun Watson was all of that and and more. You know, he was known as that sort of squeaky clean guy, and this has completely ruined his reputation from that standpoint. But he can still play, and if you can stomach the rest and you can get through or past those issues with, with civil settlements, um, get through the legal system and see if those people – uh, eventually withdraw those complaints, then you know you'd probably still face some sort of punishment from the league. But would it be eight games? Would it be three games? Four games? You can survive that if you're talking about a guy you're going to have. He's also not cheap. He's very expensive. I mean, you know, he's got some salary cap numbers on there that are in excess of forty million dollars. A lot more the than Bucks, Tom Brady was. Right, right. The Bucks can afford him. You, you know, and people look at the salary cap and they go, "Well, they don't have any money. They can't resign all these guys." Look. Just look at Brady's contract alone. Brady right now, as we sit here, counts $32 million against the salary cap. And yet they are still 18th in salary cap room. Well, after June 1st, that $32 million is going to be split up $8 million in 2022 and $24 million in 2023. So you just saved $24 million on the salary, in salary cap space for 2022. You know, you have that money. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo has one year left on his deal at around $25 million. You can make that work, certainly. And you could extend him and even lower that number if you wanted to, because anybody that signs Jimmy Garoppolo is going to want him for more than one year. So there's all you know. I don't. I, people get hung up on the salary cap, and you kind of say, well, you know, look, they've been pushing, kicking the can down the road. That bill will come due at some point, but they're still trying to go for it. You know, this is not a rebuilding team. They have said it. It's a reload. Jason Light prefers to say remodel, but you know, you can't remodel a home unless you've got a you know a pretty big foundation, which is the quarterback. And if that's not working, then the whole house is going to fall in on you. So they, they've, this remodeling is a big one, um, but you can make it stand up for a long time with a talent like a Deshaun Watson at 26 years old. I can't get past that he's only 26 and he's accomplished all this already on the football field. The other stuff, really a problem, really a problem. And I don't know how they get over it. But some team, I believe, before the draft, We'll make a deal for him. I, I believe that's going to happen. And he needs to be working on resolving his, his legal entanglements because that will make it easier for the Texans to deal him. So, anyway, that's, that's the Deshaun Watson scenario. Um, and I don't know – I mean, I know Clyde and those guys well enough to know that, that when they put on the film, it's going to be impressive. <laughs> I mean, it just is. You can't fake sort of the accomplishments that he has and the numbers he has put up. Um, he could do it all, and he would be mentioned with Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, and he's another AFC quarterback um, in, a, in a very quarterback-heavy AFC. That's another thing. If you're Deshaun Watson, he was willing to go to Miami. He wanted to go there. Um, but if you had a chance to jump to the NFC, I mean, you could see Aaron Rodgers go to Denver, and now all the great quarterbacks predominantly, except for Russell Wilson and a couple others, are in the AFC. So you, you know, which place do you have a chance to advance to a Super Bowl? I think those those AFC quarterbacks are going to be trading off, you know, every third year or so. You're going to see Josh Allen in a Super Bowl before long. You might see Joe Burrow back again. You're probably going to see Mahomes. They're the favorites to win the Super Bowl by Las Vegas odds already for next year. 
So, you know, there's there's a ton of guys, Justin Herbert, you know, with the Chargers. There's a ton of guys over there with Derek Carr. Uh, they could be trading off, you know, championships every year. Uh, I think the NFC is wide open, to be honest with you. And, you know, the Rams are going to be very good, but they're also going to lose some players. We're talking about Aaron Donald retiring. It's hard to get back. It's incredibly hard to get back. Matthew Stafford still has a number of years left, but he's not he's not 23. Um, so, you know, it's it's uh, it's an opportunity for somebody to take this Buccaneers job. And I just my gut tells me if you're willing to go to Miami, you're probably willing to go to Tampa Bay. I, I couldn't imagine that Deshaun Watson would uh, would execute his no trade clause for the Bucks, but I could be wrong. So anyway, that's the Deshaun Watson scenario. Hey, coming up, we're going to get your mailbag questions here in a second. But first, the 18th Annual Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, presented by RP Funding. It's happening February 25th through the 27th. Um, They've got that uh, completely constructed 1.8-mile, 14-turn configuration of a racetrack down there using the streets of St. Pete, circling Pioneer Park, the Duke Energy Center for the Arts, the Dally Museum, and extends onto the runways at Albert Witted Airport, where the grandstand is. If you want some race information and tickets, just visit gpstpete.com. That's gpstpete.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, so we got some mailbag questions as usual. Let's get to them. All right, Alejandro tweeted us. If the club doesn't get the big names in Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, how much trust is there in Blaine Gabbert and Kyle Trask to start? You know, I think it's pretty high, and and if I were handicapping this thing, I know, I know that. Here's what's interesting. Bruce Arians has phrased this as door number two. Like I want to see what's behind door number two. And if you go back two years ago, when they were in this situation, or whatever, it's been three years ago. I guess it was two years ago, um, when when Jameis Winston was becoming a free agent, and he had been here five years. Everybody said, do you have an interest in bringing Jameis Winston back? And he goes, yeah, I do, but I want to see what's behind door number two. And Winston was was always a possibility to come back to Tampa for a sixth season, believe it or not. Did did Arians want to do that? No, he, he really didn't. But And that might be why he ranked, the, ranked these quarterbacks the way he did. Um, obviously, when Brady became a free agent, he was number one on everybody's list, I would assume, or everybody that needed a quarterback and still thought he could play. Um, Number two for the Bucks became, oddly enough, Teddy Bridgewater, who had had a really good run with the New Orleans Saints, was 5-0 and with them, including beating the Bucs uh, pretty handily one day. He threw three touchdown passes and then for about 400 yards. Arians always liked Teddy Bridgewater. That's probably changed a little bit since, you know, Teddy's had some, some rough times in Carolina and Denver. Some more injuries have cropped up as well. So I don't know that he factors into this right away. He might if they get to that secondary level of quarterbacks um that are available but Jameis Winston was still an option he was still door number one if you will and I think by the same token door number one is really there's two players standing there and and jammed in the doorway it's Blaine Gabbert and Kyle Trask and 
no matter what you think of Blaine Gabbert, and probably not many people think much of him at all, he has been here now for the last three seasons. Before this, he had a different system every year of his career, practically. Um, you know, after Jacksonville gave up on him as a first-round pick, he's bounced around, been in Tennessee, you know, been, been around a lot of places. Um, but he really didn't have a system to lock into until these last, really last three years. And he was 33 last year, I believe, maybe 30, coming up on 34. First of all, the guy's a workout freak, all right? He's an absolute freak. He is a physical specimen is one of the things that attracted a lot of teams to him coming out of college. Um, has a strong, strong arm, way stronger than Tom Brady's. If you watch those two guys ever warm up at Raymond James or in practice, you see the zip that Gabbert puts on the ball. Not saying he's as accurate as Tom, and that's the biggest part of the game. But he's also not inaccurate, right? Um, the quarterback position, it's mostly about ball placement, but also decision-making. Do you know where to go with the ball? Can you get it out of your hand? Can you put throw the ball into places, you know, tight windows or places that, that guys can make yards after the catch? Gabbert can make every throw and then some because he has a cannon. He really does. Um, and he's kept himself in great shape. He hasn't taken any hits. When he played for the Bucks, when he would go in during garbage time, I can remember a few games, he's played really well like in game situations. He played, played pretty good without getting any reps. He's the perfect backup quarterback for Brady for a veteran because he doesn't require a lot of reps. He knows how to prepare. And if he ever was needed while Brady was here, he would have gone, on, gone in and probably done a pretty good job. And he knows the personnel because he's been here for three years. Gabbert could absolutely be in a position to be the bridge quarterback to Kyle Trask. And I think that Bruce Arians would be comfortable. Would he be as comfortable if he had Brady or certainly if he had, you know, some other free agent quarterback like Russell Wilson or perhaps Deshaun Watson, just talking about pure skill set, what we're looking for? No, he'd be more comfortable probably with somebody behind door number two. But that is not to say he thinks so much more of Blaine Gabbert than anybody else does. Um, and you have to trust his 40 years in football. He believes that Blaine Gabbert could get it done. Now, not to the extent that you're, you know, first of all, he's a free agent, but not to the extent where you just go, no, it's his. We're committed. That's our dude, right? He's going to want somebody better if he can get him. But I think he'd be comfortable doing it this way. And Kyle Trask, look, they're really high on Kyle Trask. I mean, they took him with the last pick of the second round, which you could argue is almost like the third round. Um, but they took him for a reason. They knew that Tom might be retiring after two years. Um, they knew that maybe Kyle wasn't quite NFL ready when he came out of Florida. But you know what? He wasn't Florida ready when he came out of high school because he, he backed up. Um, and, and so, you know, when he got to Florida, he was down on the depth chart. And Felipe Franks got hurt. And he finally got his shot. And he killed it. He crushed it because he was prepared. He's that guy, as Tom Brady has said many times, you may, whenever you get your shot, you have to be ready because that's it. That might be the only one you get. And I have watched Trask be the first guy out um, to get his reps because he hasn't gotten them in practice. You know, he was inactive for every single game a year ago, never complained, went out, worked his butt off, tried to get better. Um, I know that his body is better. He's, he's not as roly-poly as he was coming out of the University of Florida. His footwork is better. He's not slow-footed. He can move pretty well um, you know, within the pocket. He's not going to be a scrambler for, you know, per se. Um, but, but he has really worked at, at a lot of things, 
And what he lacks is experience. And it's the old adage like, well, you say I have no experience, but if you're not going to play me, I'm never going to get any. So at some point, you know, they, they would love to turn this thing over to Kyle Trask if he was ready. I don't think they think he's ready. And they, they really, even if they think he's ready, they have no evidence of it because all he's played is a couple preseason games. And so you need you would need a veteran quarterback to either help develop him, compete with him, uh, or back him up. And that guy could easily be Blaine Gabbert again. And if Gabbert and him go into training camp, don't expect Trask to be your starting quarterbacks week, week one. I mean, Deshaun Watson, for all he accomplished when he got to Houston, he didn't start the first week of the season when he was a rookie. He came in at halftime, did a few things. I think the next game or so, eventually he took over. But it, it wasn't a slam dunk for a guy that had done everything you could do in college, that had every expectation of being great. And he still had to wait. So I think that you know they would like to have Trask wait a little bit longer and spend a little more time in the lab. And if Gabbard has to be that guy, I think they're comfortable with it. But not as comfortable as they are probably with some of these other names they hope, they don't know, but they hope might shake free. Um, but if it comes to it, like if you were asking me, close your eyes, do they get one of these free agents? I would say mm, no. And then I would say, you know what? They went back to Gabbert and Trask, and they just, you know, they just went and saw what they had in this, and that that ended up being their option. And and I I think right now, it's probably the leader in the clubhouse, right? Because we don't know that they're going to have an opportunity to to convince a free agent to come here to pay a free agent enough money to come here. And if they're going to trade for somebody, you're in no control of that, especially guys like Wilson and, um, you know down in Houston, Watson, who have no trade clauses, they can decide where they're going or where they're not going more specifically. So you really have less control there. And I know Gabbert would resign in a heartbeat. You know, I know that he would want this job or an opportunity to compete for it because he hasn't gotten that in many, many years. And I'm telling you, Bruce Arians, Bruce Arians really has confidence in this guy if he has to play him. And we'll see because he has a great team around him. You know, when you go to Jacksonville, when you go to places that you're a high draft pick, it's because they stink. It's because they don't have players around you. And quarterback is the most dependent position there is. Um, you need everybody to do their job before you can do yours. And so, you know, at least Gabbert would probably have the best chance of succeeding. Um, and he's learned two years from, uh, from Brady as well. All right, Joe tweeted us. Rick, if you're Jason Light, what would you do at starting quarterback next season that gives the Bucks the best chance to win the Super Bowl out of all the likely options? Well, I mean, I think the guy that gives them the best chance to win the Super Bowl, if it's not named Aaron Rodgers because he's just the most talented guy, even though he hasn't won a Super Bowl with, with all the talent that they've had hey in now, Green Bay. Joe Mixon has thrown more Super Bowl touchdown passes than Aaron <laughs> Rodgers in the last decade. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I can't dispute it. Um, and maybe if Joe was available at quarterback, they'd look at him. Um, I think of the guy, you know, just if you're just saying, you know, let's put them all up on there on the wall. Like we mentioned Deshaun Watson, but it, but if you're talking about winning a Super Bowl, like right now, you, you want to keep the you want to keep the pedal to the metal, so to speak. You don't want to miss much. You don't want to have much fall off. The dude to me is Russell Wilson, and I don't think it's close, right? Because you know, the one thing Russ does better than a lot of quarterbacks is his accuracy down the field. In this offense, um, we saw how many downfield throws, how many verticals they run, 
and they did less and less of that because Tom Brady sees the game a different way and he's disciplined and you know um we saw the the offense evolve towards Brady you got to evolve it towards Russ Wilson too and and Russ has a lot more mobility than Brady ever did he can get outside the pocket but he doesn't do it to run he does it to throw down the field and he's extremely accurate with deep balls i think Russ Wilson fits this offense i think he is a you know been to the super bowl twice he's a, he's a champion um, multiple-time Pro Bowl. I don't know how many Pro Bowls he's been to. Great character guy. I mean, if Russ Wilson, Russell Wilson walked into that building, Walter Payton Man of the Year Award winner, uh, Unitas Award, I mean, like, character oozing from him, right? So, uh, you know, star wife in Sierra, like, you know, beautiful couple. Like, all got he's got everything, right? Uh, and, and he is kind, kind of a celebrity quarterback in his own right at this point. It would not be a tough transition. The way he works, the discipline he has, the expectations he have, there would not those would not change from Brady to him. Now, nobody is the GOAT, right? And it's tough to follow the GOAT. But I think Wilson can handle it because he's already been there. He's already had success. He's already been to Super Bowls and won them. So he's not competing against Tom Brady. He's competing against himself and trying to add to his own legacy. Uh, and he would be extremely motivated to do so. So t- for me, just for me, if I could pick any quarterback for this team in this situation that people are talking about, it would be Russell Wilson in my mind. All right, last tweeted us. Rick, finish this sentence. On Bucks opening day, the starting running back will be? The starting running back will be not on this roster yet. I, I, I would... I came very close to saying Keyshawn Vaughn because, frankly, he's the only guy under contract. And, again, going back to the whole Blaine Gabbert discussion, Bruce Arians loves him some Keyshawn Vaughn like nobody else loves him some Keyshawn Vaughn. Like he has been saying for a couple years now that this guy is capable of being the lead tailback. And he very, very, very may well be just that on opening day. However, I think that running backs are one of those positions that – you know, even in a secondary market, when that whoever the first layer of free agent running backs are that the Bucks won't be into trying to pay, and that includes Leonard Fournette. Okay, the reason I pause is I don't think they're I don't think they're completely out of the Leonard Fournette sweepstakes. Let me say this about Fournette: he has to get paid. Like he is looking to get paid. He will go. I am convinced he will go where the money is. Come hell or high water, I don't think it'll matter if they're winning, not winning. I think Leonard Fournette at 26, 27 years old, whatever he is, he is looking to get his big contract. And good on him because running backs, you know, are like milk. When they get to be 30 years old, they're like, you know, the expiration date is on them and and you you don't want the guy on the next contract at that age. But if the market isn't as deep as Fournette hopes it is, you're not going to get a hometown discount necessarily. But if it's Team A or B or the Bucks, and the Bucks are competitive, when I say competitive, within you know a million, half a million a year, whatever it is, again, no state income tax. Some of these other places, you may have to pay that. It might be apples to apples. I think Fournette loves it here, not likes it here. I think he loves it here. You know, he was up at Lutz the other day uh, at, a, at a flag football tournament or something like that, signing autographs, and, and I think Greg Allman happened to snap a few pictures off. He really has sort of seen the light, and he did that, you know, in the first year when he became playoff Lenny. He was sulking. He was almost waved, um, bad attitude, 
got on board, uh, made the most of his chance, had a hell of a year last year until he got hurt, um, played pretty well in the, in the playoffs. I think, I think he's comfortable with this organization. I think he knows they care about him. So I'm not writing him off. So I think there's a chance it's Fournette or somebody else who we don't know. Um, because, again, teams will draft running backs. They'll cut running backs. There's a lot of veteran running backs. I just don't know that they're ready to hand it to Keyshawn Vaughn um, as their every-down guy. He'll get a chance to compete, and he may well be that guy, or he may be the third down back um, or the number two back like Ronald Jones was, although he's a much better receiver and a blocker than Ronald Jones ever thought of being. So, you know, we've seen them bring in Le'Veon Bell. We, you know, we've seen all kinds of running backs through here. The Bucks don't typically invest big money in running backs simply because they like to throw the football to wide receivers and tight ends. Um, more than they do now. Now Tom threw the ball a hell of a lot to his running back. He's all about that, and he ended up trusting Fournette extremely well, and that's why he caught I don't know seventy, eighty passes uh, from him last year. But I don't know that that will be the case with a new quarterback. Um, we'll see. But yeah, I'm just I'm not sure that Keyshawn Vaughn in my mind is somebody that they're like, no, we're good. We got our running back. We don't need to look too hard. We'll just bring in. Some, some guys to fortify that. But I don't think it'll be Ronald Jones. Um, so I'm going to say whoever it is, he's probably not on the roster yet. All right, Michael tweeted, are Ryan Suckup and Bradley Pinion back next year? Well, Suckup is um, because they signed him to a, a pretty healthy contract. I think he got a three-year deal. Um, I want to say it was like $3 million a year. Bradley Pinion, his contract for 2022 – is $2.9 million. That's fairly high for a punter slash kickoff guy. It is not guaranteed. And I don't think, and I could be wrong about this, but I don't think I, I don't think that they saw opinion be very consistent or get better as he was here. He He's an absolute weapon on kickoffs when he's healthy. He had some injuries, I think, that really hampered him You know, a year ago. He missed some games, in fact. But if you're going to pay a punter $3 million, that's a, that's a high price for – or a, I'm sorry, yeah, a punter, $3 million. That's a high price. He's, he's paid essentially an extra million to kick off. And you do save your place kicker, especially if you have an older guy like Brian, Ryan's uh, suck-up. You save his leg if you don't require him to kick off. But you could hire another punter who can do that and can do both. That isn't going to cost you $3 million a year. So in a, in a salary cap crunch like the Bucks are in – you start thinking, where can we save our money? And and really, what is the drop off? Right? Are we talking about, you know, half a yard average, half a yard net, a full yard net? You know, what what are we talking about? So, I think that's one area where the supply and demand. The supply is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody wants a good one, but you know, there's there's guys like Hecker with the Rams, and then there's everybody else, right? So, my in my mind, he's probably he's probably going to uh, going to move on. I think as far as cap hit, he's the eighth highest punter in the NFL. Yeah, they paid him a lot, and I remember talking to John Lynch when John was actually upset because he had just become GM, and they lost Bradley Pinion to free agency, and John had offered Pinion two million, and he says I really thought he was going to come in around two million dollars. He goes, and all of a sudden he gets three million from the Bucks, and he goes, I forgot. I forgot the value of the kickoff. I forgot the value of a guy who's almost an automatic touchback. He goes, and that's hard to replace. So the Bucks overpaid for that particular skill and gave him $3 million, and it priced out the 49ers, and they lost him. Um, 
in hindsight, I don't know whether John really regrets that or not, but he did at the time. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I just think that it's, it's a place that you can save money and they probably will try to. All right. Anthony had tweeted us. Should the Bucks sign other free agents besides their own when free agency opens on March 14th? Absolutely. Um, look, I mean, I think you, you know your guys better than you know other players. But, you know, they're all on the table. Everything's on the table. And, uh, you know, for example, and I haven't looked, looked at the list, but, you know, there are some positions. If Gronk retires, let's say Gronk retires. You know, Cam Brate's under contract, but he's under contract for like more than $6 million, but he's taking a pay cut every single year to stay here. He probably will again. But outside of Cam Brate, who do you got, right? Um, McElroy, I mean, you, don't, you, don't, you need some tight ends because they're going to let, they're gonna let uh, Howard move on. O.J. Howard's going to move on for sure. If Gronk isn't here, you just have one tight end, and he's a receiver for the most part. He's not going to be your edge blocker and you're every down tight end. So, yeah, I, I think you have to look at all positions, all free agents, because you, you don't know who you're going to lose. Your guys are looking around as well. You know, there's this legal tampering period that begins March 14th, which is only a few weeks away. Um, they go to the combine on March 1st. Two weeks later, uh, they're in the legal, what they call sort of the signing period. Or, or you, it, it's not a signing period. It's, it's, you know, you can make deals with guys – you can come to an agreement with guys, but, you know, that's on the 14th. By the 17th at 4 p.m., you can actually sign them. But you're going to see a ton of deals be, being worked out as soon as that day, you know, as soon as March 14th arrives. And you could lose a whole bunch of your guys. So you better have plan A, B, C, D ready to go. You know, if uh, if, if if Alex Kappa or maybe that's a bad example because they might have guards that they like coming back. Um, but Stinney is also a free agent. But if you lose, uh, and I think they'll they'll probably franchise Chris Godwin, but let's say you lose a safety. Let's say you lose Jordan Whitehead on the boom the first day. You better have somebody you can sign, you know. And I know they got Mike Edwards and, and um, you know, obviously they got Antoine Winfield Jr., but you're losing a, a, a you know, in-the-box type strong safety that can support the run. So you, you have to be prepared and, and frankly, trying to upgrade from your guys, you know, just because your guys are free agent. Yeah, you love them, but do you love them more than some other guy who's also a free agent? So they will, I do expect there to be some new players in here. And there's, there's two, several waves of free agency, right? There's the, the big money guys, the big market guys um, that are done in the first couple of days when, you know, Adam Schefter gets on there and says, breaking news from Tampa Bay, they've signed. And you get all this, you get the list, right, of every team, right? You just, it's incredible at four o'clock. Uh, on that Wednesday, he goes for like an hour announcing deals, you know, uh, all across the league. So you have that wave of free agency. And then there's a second wave that kind of happens, you know, all the way almost up into the draft. And then everybody starts focusing on the draft. And then after the draft, if they don't get what they want and players start to get cut, there's another wave of free agency. So there's several, you know, sort of milestones, mileposts along the way. Um, but I do expect them to add some players from from other teams, and I don't know that they'll be the highest paid guys that are out there. Um, I haven't looked at the list exclusively enough to know. You know what? This is the guy that the Bucks are targeting. But I I definitely think you'll see some new guys in here from other teams. All right, Ellis tweeted: 
singularly focused on their season and playoff success, which Buccaneers defense, 2001 or 2020, was better? Oh, 2001 was better. The one that won the Super Bowl in 2002, so the 2001 defense. Tony Dungy's last year, which was the same defense that won it in, in 02. Yeah, I think he had the wrong year there. It should have been 2002. I think he's talking but... Super Bowl defenses. So so definitely, in my mind, the Super Bowl defense of, of 02 was way, well, was was probably prohibitively better. Now, did 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 Tom Brady, the year Tom Brady won the Super Bowl here, did that defense in 2021, um, uh, uh, did they, you know, did they dominate? In the postseason, yes. Throughout the regular season, they were really good against the run, you know, first in the league, all of that. Um, if you put them both on the field, I think you would take that, the early defense that Tony Dungy had and that John Gruden won a Super Bowl with. I mean, that, you know, start saying the name. I mean, you know, and Dominican Sue is a great player. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Um, we'll see what Vita Vea becomes, but he's on a pretty good career path. Jason Pierre Paul. Really good player, older when they got him. Simeon Rice was better in my mind. Um, you know, Warren Sapp. I mean, I would take Sapp's career over Sue's. You know, defensive player of the year. Um, you know, 16 and a half sacks one year, whereas I think, you know, the only year that Sue had double digits was maybe his rookie season when he had 10. He's had basically six every year since that. It seems like very consistent. Um, you know, Derek Brooks, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame player. You could say Levante David deserves to go to the Hall of Fame. He's going to have numbers. I don't think he gets there because I think he was snubbed throughout his career. He doesn't have an all decade, doesn't have some of the mile posts that Derek had. But, I mean, Derek was one of the best players of all time, first ballot, first ballot Hall of Fame player. Um, John Lynch in the secondary. Is there a guy in that secondary at safety that's going to be a Hall of Fame player? Maybe Antoine Winfield Jr. if he plays a lot. He's off to a pretty good start. He's got one Pro Bowl in two seasons. Um, but he's going to make nine, right, like Lynch did. So, you know, Rondy Barber, who's a finalist these last two years, do you have a corner like that, really? Do you have a guy in Carlton Davis that's going to get there? Do you have a guy in Sean Murphy Bunting? So I think and – and it's – you know, it's a little easier because we know the outcome of all those guys' careers. These guys are still playing. Uh, for the most part, most of them are still playing or will still be playing. So you kind of only have a little bit of the picture. So it's a little unfair. But, yeah, I mean, I watched that defense dominate for 10, 12 seasons, right, where they were one of the top five defenses in the league, if not number one, like they were their Super Bowl year. The defense the Bucks won with were not number one. They were number one against the run, but not, not overall. So – yeah, definitely the 0-2 defense was better. Greg tweeted, There's a huge void for football craze fans like myself. Can a spring football league survive? I think it can. Um, you know, the problem with it, I think there's an appetite for spring football. I think people like football, would watch football throughout the year. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's difficult because they they just they don't seem to have you know a, a financial plan to stay viable and what i mean is i think what the usfl is doing is they bring it back um you know when you start talking about leases on stadiums when you start talking about travel you know 
that that eats these these startup leagues alive. It just does. And if they've only got, you know, what partial TV contract or one TV contract for all those teams, those teams are relying on ticket sales. Um, you know, what where are the cities? Are they strong NFL cities? Are they non NFL cities that that wants professional football? You know, when the USFL began, um, the only place that really went one of the few places, not the only place, one of the few places that went head-to-head against the NFL team and drew better was Tampa Bay because the Bucks were horrible. And the owner, Hugh Culverhouse, was terrible. And in comes, you know, uh, John Bassett and the Bandits and great marketing, um, you know, really good product, competitive from the jump. One, you know, was, was winning right away. And they were outdrawing the Buccaneers, and, and that became a huge problem. Um, for the NFL and for Hugh Culverhouse. But some of these other cities were Birmingham, Alabama, right? Um, and, and you know, they, they were spread out throughout the league. You still had a team in Houston. You still had a team in Colorado, you know, in Denver. Um, you know, but they weren't all, um, you know, marquee cities. Mm-hmm. But they also had stars, you know. And, and, and the biggest problem you suffer is, you know, are they – are they going to try to compete and try to lure NFL players or prospective NFL players to the USFL? You know, um, you know they had what Herschel Walker, you know, played over there. Jim Kelly, Jim Kelly, uh, Doug Williams at one yeah. point. Um, you know, uh, Joe Cribs was over there. Um, Steve Young, mm-hmm. you know, came out of college and played for the LA Express. So they were they were they had some star power and I don't the money's so big I don't know that they're going to be able to do that. If you make it a developmental league if the quality's never going to be NFL quality because those guys will be playing in the NFL. But you know there's a lot of players came out of the World League, you know, Brad Johnson, Kurt Warner. I think it has a use. I I think it would almost have to be one that the NFL sanctions for it to survive because they could bankroll it. Mhm. I don't know that they're interested in doing that. They tried that in the World League. It was really expensive to play over in Europe. They were thinking they would open some markets, but now American football is more popular over there because they've been sending teams over there for regular season games, and you're going you know, to have some now in Germany and, and, and have a bunch in London, of course, and you may have a team over there in London one day. So the landscape has changed, but it's still it's really hard sell. Here's and, the one thing about the USFL, and the XFL presumably next year is going to start up. USFL is owned by Fox Sports. Right. And they also have a television contract with NBC. So they'll be on, yeah. they'll be on both networks. Yeah. The question is, and, and he phrased it right, can a fo- spring football league survive? Mm-hmm. So what is survival? I mean, if you're expecting anywhere close to NFL numbers to watch it, no. Because right. first and foremost, the same problem that the XFL had a couple years ago. Tell me who your quarterbacks are. Because mm-hmm. there's not enough quarterbacks for the NFL. Right. At the elite level that people want to see, Brady, Rodgers, Wilson, Mahomes. Right. I mean, go through the list of top quarterbacks that that's what people want to see. So is the XFL or USFL or any of those in the spring going to get numbers like the NFL? Not even no. close. No. But if Fox is looking to fill programming and NBC mm-hmm. and and sell advertising during that time of the year and draw live eyeballs to their networks, which – yeah. Sports is still one of the best bets for networks because best lot, yeah. you don't watch it on demand. You watch it live. If you mm-hmm. want to watch a game, you watch it live. 
your Bachelorette, your whatever other shows that you like on television, you're more than happy to DVR it and watch it the next day or a week yeah. later or whatever. But yeah. sports is one that you want to grab onto right away. Two, gambling is now a part in many states legal, which can help these spring leagues survive more because we know the impact of fantasy football and gambling on the NFL and one of the reasons that it, it rules sports in America today. So that gives it a chance to survive. But the first week, the numbers will be huge. The second week, they're going to drop by 50%, 60%. And if people think that's a failure, and if Fox Sports think that's a failure, then it won't survive. But I, I think they go in knowing what to expect. I don't think they're yeah. – I think they learned from the XFL a couple years ago in that. I think they – this is about creating programming in the spring – that's football. That's a chance to grow things. Own it. They're not. I. I don't see them going after NFL guys because I just don't think you want to invest that kind of money yet. Right. You know, and right. your Fox Sports. Do you want to hurt your Sunday product in the fall? Yeah. Right. You know, you lure a big quarterback out of the NFL, and now you're hurting the NFL too, which is you know you have a, a vested interest in. So, um, you know, can it survive? It can. But fans can't sit there and look at, you know, oh, the numbers are horrible for television watching. I mean, you know, Fox, as long as they have a reasonable expectation going in, it can survive, yes. And financially, these things break down because of money. And financially, the USFL, at least initially, is going to play, even though they're going to have a team named mm-hmm. Tampa Bay, one named Birmingham, but they're all playing in the same place. Yep. There's not travel. You've eliminated the travel. You've eliminated, you know, the multiple leases of stadiums. You've eliminated trying to compete in a specific market against a team that's very popular, even though they're not playing at the same time. Um, so I think that will help initially is, is in terms of like, you know, making sure there's enough. I mean, you don't want another situation like the AAF where guys are taking TVs out of the, you know, the team headquarters to try to, you know, in lieu of payroll um, with games left on the schedule. So, um, you know, that's it always breaks down financially before anything else. And it's the business model. And so far, nobody's been able to figure out how to how to make it work from a business standpoint. But you're right. TV programming is live sports, live anything. And, um, you know, in the spring, I just think football is so popular. And, hey, what better year to start it than with baseball doing what they're doing? <laughs> that was going to be another part of that. If, if baseball isn't playing by the end of April when the USFL starts, then maybe there's some more eyeballs there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I watched a lot of golf when it was the first thing to come back. I can tell you that. You know, when there were no fans during the uh, during, during COVID. So it's a great question, though. I hope it survived because I really do think that there is usefulness to, you know, there's only so many NFL jobs, and there's a lot of great players and good players that just need, you know, just need opportunity. Um, and I think they can get it um, playing in a spring league, and I, I think, you know, it would help them get to the NFL. Hey, uh, set in the downtown streets of the Sunshine City in St. Petersburg, my hometown, it's the 18th Annual Firestone Grand Prix of St. Pete. It's coming up, presented by RP Funding, and that's going to be February 25th through the 27th. It kicks off all of Florida's spring break season with some really high-speed excitement. If you want some race information and tickets information, visit gpstpete.com. That's gpstpete.com. Another racing season starts in St. Petersburg. All right, we'll wrap up with a couple of baseball questions here. And Craig had tweeted, with no sign of an agreement being done, is baseball and the Players Association putting the death nail in their own sport? Football rules all, and I don't think they get it. 
Football is almost year-round with combine. Free agency and the draft is a big event. Other than a few diehards, will baseball be really missed? I mean, I'm going to miss it. Yeah, I think it will be missed. Um, but it's a good point that, you know, the NFL has done a great job of, you know, they used to give baseball February, right? Like their their their, their Super Bowl was played at the end of December or end of January, I'm sorry, um, and then they leaked over a little bit into the first few days of February, and now they added the extra game, you know, during the regular season. So we're middle of February already. As we do this podcast, pitchers and catchers were supposed to be uh, reporting uh, on, I guess it was Tuesday. And so, you know, that didn't happen. And and it looks like at best, and and I would never expect the best of these baseball negotiations, but at best, you're going to have an abbreviated spring training. Well, spring training you know, was sort of just given away by the NFL. They got the combine pushed back to March 1st. Um, they got free agency starting March 14th. Those teams would still be in spring training approaching the right start of the regular season in April. Um, the draft is at the end of April, so baseball would have its opening day, its first couple weeks. They wouldn't really be competing so much with the NFL. So I think from that standpoint, you know, baseball had a runway but they're going to forfeit that if they continue to not be able to reach an agreement. And look, I, you never say never, but I think we know where this is headed, right? I mean, I think this lockout is going to extend and shorten the regular season. And I don't know that baseball's finances can, can withstand, you know, a third year of, of an abbreviated season or lower revenues because that changes your deals, right? That changes – what owners are willing to give up, what players are, are, are going to, uh, how much money they're going to make. Um, you know, you just won't have as many dates at the stadiums, so it lowers revenues for everybody. And I fear that's where we're headed because I just think there's such a gulf between the players and the owners right now. And you hear about very little progress, um, hear a lot of saber rattling we're still not at that point where they're going to have to cancel regular season games or 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 postpone um or make shorten the season yet well already we do know that spring training is going to be different right if they start on time because again Mm -hmm. pitchers and catchers would be already beginning to throw and that's the most important reason that you have spring training you know batters batters typically need 50 at bats if they can get it of live live you know action if you will and they're usually good. They can do it with less. But you've got to, you know, maybe you expand the rosters and let them carry more pitchers because those guys won't be stretched out. But still, man, opening day, you know, that mm-hmm. you got to have something to look forward to. You know, everybody has that date circled. And if that's a moving target and it gets pushed back, especially if it gets pushed back into the middle or towards the end of April, I mean, that's now you're in the NFL draft. I do disagree with him a little bit. You know, saying that only a few diehards with baseball take football out of the mix, which dominates everything in American sports. It gets huge numbers for a random Thursday night game or Sunday afternoon. It doesn't matter whether you're rooting for a team, you'll sit and watch it. Mm-hmm. Baseball, much like the NBA or hockey, is very regional. Regional. The national broadcast do not pull, Sunday night baseball does not pull good numbers, nor does mm-hmm. Thursday night basketball on TNT or, uh, you know, Wednesday night hockey on ESPN or whatever it is. It's, but at the local level, do the Tampa Bay Rays do very well in the Tampa Bay market television once? Yes. Oh, hell yeah. Do the Yankees mm-hmm. do well in New York? Yes. Do the Cardinals in St. Louis and the Reds in Cincinnati? 
Mm-hmm. Baseball is more popular than people want to give it credit for because they look at national television numbers and say, oh, it's awful. Correct. It's the same with the NBA and hockey. Mm-hmm. And, and MLS the same way, too, although, I mean, that's still growing and it's, it's not there yet. But, yeah, you know, I've heard Colin Cowherd make the argument that the MLS has already passed Major League Baseball because an MLS game on ESPN will get more than Sunday Night Baseball. Well, look at the regional baseball numbers during the week of, of – add up all, all the teams and they're crushing MLS. I mean, MLS Absolutely. is growing and, and it's building and, and it's going to become more popular. No question, but it's not there yet. Baseball is still bigger than people want to give it credit for because you don't look at the regional numbers and add them all up. That's right. Um, but as part of the national conversation, yes, lockouts and this can hurt as far as just interest in baseball as a general can hurt. Absolutely. It can Mm-hmm. Um, and you can it make you even less interested in watching two random teams on a Tuesday night on ESPN or Sunday night baseball or whatever Fox Sports One broadcast has on Saturdays. And, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think they're hurting themselves with this, although if they can get the right agreement on the back end, I think that helps everything. But who knows if they can come even come close to that to make it to where it helps everybody, including the fans. But uh, baseball is more popular than people want to give it credit for. Is it the NFL? No, nothing is in this in this country. Not even close. Yeah, I would agree. And yet, we do know that the baseball demographics, those who watch those games you're talking about, are getting older and older. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think you help capture a younger audience if you're off the radar altogether, if you're off the grid. You know, that, that's, that's not a good strategy. Um, so the sooner they come back, the better. Um, and they still have to tackle, you know, how do we make this game itself, the product, um, more appealing, um, more faster or, or, or you know, whatever, um, more appealing to the younger audience because your demographics are, are skewing sort of the wrong way. Um, but, man, I, I just, you know, opening day to me should be a national holiday. I mean, of course, I grew up, baseball's all I ever cared about. You, you've worked in baseball for a long time, Steve. Um, you know, for those of us who love it, and that's not a, I mean, I love it. Um, I hate this. You know, I hate it. All of us hate labor talks and, and things like that. They're necessary. They're going to occur in every league. But, man, you know, you just, you'd hate to think that what they've been through, that they would go through something again that, you know, shortens the season or whatnot. Well, here's the good thing is that most fans, and I'll say more the casual fans, don't even know that baseball has a lockout at this point. Until until opening day is moved on March thirty first. That's right. Nothing has been from the fan wise. Is it you know right now? It's the diehards that are following every report of what's going mm-hmm. on and talks and that. The casual fan has no clue they're even locked out. It doesn't mean anything until regular season games are missed. Unless you live in Florida or yeah, well, Arizona. yeah, yeah. There are some some regional interests here because yeah. of games and 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 that that happens and economics too. But yeah. Yeah. But for the majority, as far as the sport goes, until you miss regular season games, they don't know. a lockout in the offseason doesn't hurt anything. Correct. All right, we'll end on this one. Matt had asked, all of the businesses that signed the letter supporting Stu Sternberg's sister city idea, will they be just as eager to support a permanent solution for the Rays in Tampa Bay? Or did Stu Sternberg lose credibility when the two-city idea failed? Well, I hope they are. And in that, you know, that, that whole thing about that letter that was signed, you know, sort of supporting this two-city idea, I, I mean, as much as anything, and I haven't talked to any of these owners of these businesses that signed it, I think, I think what their intent was to, to preserve some part of baseball for this area because they had a, an interest in doing that. Um, it would seem to me 
that if you were behind the idea of a sister city to preserve at least half the season for Tampa Bay, that you damn sure should be all in to preserve the whole the whole uh, season for Tampa Bay. I, I don't understand how it's you know, and and I think all of us rightfully said, hmm, well, wow, all this support. If only they would buy tickets and not just sign petitions, you know, then maybe maybe this wouldn't have been something that Stu Sternberg thought he had to look for anyway. Um, because we know attendance is a problem and we know that baseball is typically financed by corporate support first and then your walk up, you know, uh, crowds later. Um, and again, you know, we, we live in a service economy here in Florida. Um, a lot of healthcare workers, um, a lot of restaurant, hotel, you know, uh, that industry. So, you know, you're still, you're still struggling in the Tampa Bay area with some of that. But yes, I, I mean, I certainly hope that they wouldn't go the other way and say, well, you know, we were behind this idea. And now that it's dead, we're out. No, it, sh- it should be just the opposite. It sh- they, should re- they should double their in- investments, their interest in preserving a full season for Tampa Bay if they were willing to, to sign a petition or a dotted line or an ad or whatever the hell, a letter, whatever the hell it was, um, you know, getting behind Sternberg's two-city idea, which is now dead because the alternative is they're gone altogether, Okay. Baseball has said, we're not doing this. We're not, we're not preserving them this way. So you better find a way to make it work for 162 games. And the businesses that want that in this community, get behind it. You know, you have to, you have to pony up. You have to ante up. You have to buy tickets. You have to, you know, whatever they ended up, however they end up financing this stadium, I mean, as much as the corporate, you know, community can get behind it they need to and they need to do it with their checkbooks but you know this is the ultimate we'll see very easy to put your name on an ad or a, or a letter or whatever the hell it was um that looks that looks great i thought it was a little hypocritical to begin with it's like well wait a minute if you guys were all in on a half season how come we're even having this conversation if you'd have been all in on them and be in you know from the from the from the get-go well, wasn't part like, of the the letter in that i mean the, the thought was it's a Split season, but the stadium is now in Tampa, not St. Pete. That was part of it, yeah. So, you know, I would assume if the stadium moves to Tampa, that support remains. If they build right. it in St. Petersburg, say at Albert Albert Whitted Airport or Al mm-hmm. Lang Stadium, mm-hmm. I don't. I guess I don't know. And it's all assumptions at this point, but yeah, I don't know either. I I don't know. I I mean. Yeah, if you're a Tampa business, <clears throat> do you benefit more if it's in your backyard? Sure you do. Um, but are you willing to let them walk just because it's across the bay if they build a beautiful ballpark on the waterfront that's iconic? Um, yes, you still have the transportation issues, but you have baseball. You have Major League Baseball. Um, doesn't that, you know, from a client standpoint, from a you know quality of life standpoint, does that make you a Major League City? Does it, you know, does it help attract other business here? Um, that you might profit from. I, I don't know. I don't know the numbers of all that. But if they were strictly behind a Tampa stadium and it goes someplace else, geez, I mean, you, you, you sure would like to think they'd just get behind the home team. And we are, a, we are a big region. I mean, there's plenty of reasons why the stadium would work better in Tampa than it would St. Pete. Um, I don't disagree with that, by the way. But by the same token, if, if the Rays – survival is based on something at Albert Witted or, you know, um, you know, and it, and it works there and it's permanent. 
so be it. You know, the whole region should get behind it. So I never, you know, part of me, like I, I, I would want to put my business where the most people live and have access to it, right? Like whatever that business was. But by the same token, you know, I've lived in St. Pete. I grew up in St. Pete. And, I, and, and we always, you know, we would come to Tampa. And I know it's different because they, they don't play Bucks games every day, right? It's, it's a different commitment. Um, but even if the Lightning, who play sometimes three times a week, like nothing would stop me from driving across a body of water to go see the team I, I grew up rooting for. I, I could never quite understand that sort of mentality to begin with. Like the bridge is the great divide. I mean, we know how long it takes in traffic in L.A. or New York or Boston, you know, to get someplace to watch games. Um, those people make the drive. They make the commute. It may not be far as miles goes, but you're still spending the same amount of time. So, yeah, I mean, I've always been one to sign me up to, you know, be in traffic overlooking a gorgeous bay with seagulls and sunsets and palm trees. You know, that's that's tough duty. But I do get why it would be better in Hillsborough County um, from an access standpoint, for the population standpoint, all of that. And I live in Hillsborough now, so it'd be better for me. But, you know, it's just... It's weird to me that, that that body of water is such a political divide. It's just weird to me. It doesn't matter the cities, whether it's a body of water or, look, I lived in Minneapolis, Minnesota, you know, the St. Twin Paul, Cities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same. When you have a two-city thing, I believe Dallas-Fort Worth, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of political back and forth, and people yeah. won't go to one or the other and this. and it, Whether it's a body of water there or just a highway or whatever mm-hmm. in between a river, um, mm-hmm. it's it, it it's it's – it's all politics. That's exactly what it is. Who's paying for it and who's benefiting from it? And what are we getting? What's our return on investment? So that happens a lot. Great questions. Uh, all of them answered 100% correctly. Your money back. If, uh, if you didn't get yours, you can uh, rest assured we'll get to it uh, during the week. You can always submit questions to us. Uh, and do that on Twitter at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Email address rstroud at tampabay.com. Just a reminder, the 18th annual Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, presented by RP Funding, happens this February 25th through the 27th. For race information and tickets, go to gpstpete.com. That's gpstpete.com. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>